0: Good times, noodle salad. Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose?
1: with bloated We are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo
2: Jackie Brown on
0: his This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip.
2: Welcome to Extended Clip, episode sixty-nine. I am one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I am Malcolm Baum. I am JT White, and we're not doing anything dirty this episode.
3: No, yeah, but I did I did just get a document and I know we've been thinking this whole time James L Brooks, Albert Brooks, are they brothers? And I thought this for the longest time. Turns out they're gay and they're married and that's why they share the, the same last name. <laughs> oh, wow, I'm I'm really glad we're breaking this story. Hollywood's best kept secret premiered here <laughs> on the Extended Clip podcast. I feel like Perez Hilton. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the films we're going to be talking about today, uh, to wrap up the Brooks Brothers mini series, are as good as it gets: the 1997 James L. Brooks film, and Albert Brooks's last film to date, 2005's *Looking for Comedy in the Muslim World*. It's so sad to say goodbye to our friends Jim and Al, but uh, you know, we we picked two real. Uh, real tough films to do it with, real doozies of films, films that ask the difficult questions, such as, can Jack Nicholson get along with a gay man? And uh,
3: (laughs) can uh, an American man make people from other countries laugh?
2: Exactly. And what are the answers? The
3: the answers (laughs) are up to you as the viewer. I think, you know, it's funny about this. Of course, looking for comedy in the Muslim world is probably Albert Brooks's least considered movie both you know financially and critically whereas good as it gets is probably you know maybe brooks's james l brooks's biggest success but maybe you know amongst like the james l brooks auteurs, you know the the 12 of them well i guess rosenbaum's one of them so th- there's probably a good army out there but like i feel like this is like the least c- considered just because it's like mainstream very mm-hmm. oscar bait you know you have the problematic jack nicholson performance at the center so i feel like People overlook this one.
2: And it's the one where he had a co-writer, too, who had mm-hmm. written the story. You know, usually these are these uh, big projects that James L. Brooks carves at his screenplays, that is, uh, over a number of years. Whereas this one, you know, it, it, I wouldn't even say go as far to say that it has like the air of a studio assigned a job to it, uh, but it feels more like that uh, than his wholly unique films. But it's still through and through a James L. Brooks film. Now, what is As Good As It Gets? Um, is this As Good As It Gets? <laughs> That's the real question. Well, Jack Nicholson is a uh, a y old, bigoted writer. And Helen Hunt is a waitress with a sick child. And uh, Greg Kinnear, who I think is just one of the favorite actors of the podcast at this point, uh, plays the neighbor of Jack Nicholson, a uh, very... 90s movie gay man uh, (laughs) named Simon. (laughs) I I wanted to get into his character because it really is like the... Definitive, or if not definitive, it's very representative of what like being a movie gay guy was in like the nineties and two thousands. Kinda like yeah. I feel like that's kind of a. Uh, it's a little more toned down than some more on the nose examples would have been, uh because James L. Brooks humanizes his characters, even if they are you know puppets for him.
3: Well, yeah, I get I get what you're talking about because you know he like he's like an he has a very like chic job. You know, he's an artist who lives in like a very expensive. Apartment. I feel like yeah, a lot of 90s gay characters were like people's neighbors yeah. who lived in like rich communities.
1: Yeah. I mean, it has that sort of like sitcom-y feel to it because I feel like the 90s is the first time you're sort of broaching like there'll be like a gay episode of like most mainstream like sitcoms.
2: So the film is really just about having to get dragged around by an old bigoted writer with a legendarily flagrant OCD case because you have a sick son and medical attention prices out working class people. And it's also about how a old bigoted writer with a legendarily flagrant case of OCD can get along with his gay neighbor too and bond Mm -hmm. over the love of a little puppy who is so cute. (laughs) Yeah, I mean trying to describe
3: the plot of this movie if you describe it out you're like why would anyone watch that it it is like a it is i feel like this is one of his more baffling movies to me maybe just because it goes i feel like he's kind of going for it more he like he's doing bigger swings with like melodramatic scenes and like uh i don't know character monologues i feel like like every character's line read is like there's like a couple lines tacked onto it that you wouldn't you know in a regular movie it'd be more clean and concise whereas you know Brooks has that like manic sloppiness to his characters where they're just spouting off at the mouth.
1: Yeah, I feel like structurally too, this movie is like extremely like different from like the other Brooks films. It doesn't have that tight, compressed writery feel. I I mean, I love it but like the opening really goes on for a long time to sort of build the world that you're inhabiting before anything really kicks in.
2: Yeah, you get like a normal movie amount of exposition in the first like minute and a half as the titles go on screen, you know, you get all this information dumped on and it seems like it's such an, a narratively like economical film. And then you hit like 40 minutes in and you realize (laughs) you haven't even really gotten to like the full premise of the film as you know, Jack Nicholson is balancing these two relationships throughout the film. And yeah, it has the sitcom feel that the other ones do, but it also feels like the scenes are so much longer and more protracted. And those 10 minute chunks, uh, that we talked about way back in the first uh, episode of the series on terms of endearment that kind of make up his writing style feel more elongated here it feels even at odds with what he would do after this you know spanglish and how do you know feel like he's going back to the films he made before this one uh and maybe it's just to let jack go crazy maybe he was just feeling like he had to put more flourishes in his dialogue than usual this time around but uh it makes for a really interesting result for sure and a very strange film to be so warmly received by the public and be like one of the most popular films really and have you know both of its lead actors win an Oscar
3: yeah that is like very funny like indicative of how film culture has changed or like a movie like as good as it gets is like this is like the best movie of the year or yeah. like <laughs> is even like financially successful and like you know if you look down uh Brooks' career you realize after like how do you know he ran into that problem himself but I don't want to accuse him of clout chasing I don't want to accuse him of going for big gold but I think he definitely you know, because he he'd worked with Nicholson before, and like this is this is his chance right now to do you know a solo project with him, and I think he d- uh, does a pretty good role. That kind of uh, I don't know, like you have the Jack Nicholson, you know, kind of cool guy affects, but they're all kind of deconstructed and seen as like a defense mechanism in a way as the movie progresses. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like I don't know. It's 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 even kind of reflects
1: on the acting career of Jack Nicholson himself, which I think is a good move. It's like definitely perplexing to me because I think. This is the most I don't want to say like a James L. Brooks movie is never really abrasive, but like mm-hmm. this is the most like thorny his characters will be the most like he's sort of like m- pushing you to not like them. like I mean it fucking starts with Nicholson like shoving a dog down a <laughs> trash chute uh, and it's just weird that that like it's his most like mainstream critically beloved.
3: Well, I feel like a people accuse Brooks of maybe being over sentimental sometimes where it's like this is like oh this is real it's about a a guy who is bigoted and like kills (laughs) dogs slurs against anyone he sees like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino exactly right and you know L Brooks being you know the screenwriting master he knows you got to kill the cat sometimes but sometimes or no (laughs) see he's already affecting the way I think you got to save the cat Brooks kills the dog
2: damn well he doesn't kill the well, dog he just yeah. throws it down a trash chute
3: True but like at at that moment you're like that yeah, dog that could fucking feels die." Like it's killing the dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> unrealistic that dog would die in real life
2: (laughs) (laughs) i also feel like it's so weird how the structure of this narrative is drawn out but the changes that the characters undergo are so quick you know like jack nicholson gets the dog and does a full 180 on the dog over the course of two scenes you know uh like i thought the first time i watched this this is a rewatch for me i thought that his relationship with the dog was going to be like most of the film because of the poster I guess and the poster is of one of my favorite scenes in any James L. Brooks you know that picking up the dog and telling him hey (laughs)
0: look at that look at him I gotta give you something I gotta give you something real good too I'm gonna show it to you come on buddy don't be like me don't you be like me. You stay just the way you are, cause you are a perfect man, and I'm gonna take you home and get
2: you something to eat.
0: What you want? Hear me? Oh.
2: That like makes me almost tear up in yeah. a in a strange way that only James L. Brooks' films can, you know. Uh, but that is kind of set aside, and obviously the human relationships are more <laughs> important in this film.
3: Well, I was gonna say because we we're talking about how like meandering, like the opening is, like it extends to like the sequence where he has the dog. The first like hour or so of this movie, maybe a little bit less, but you really just are spending time with Nicholson going through his like daily habits and stuff mm-hmm. like that. His fun OCD quirks—you know, he's throwing away soap bars and bringing you know plastic utensils to the place that he goes to. But it is, you know, also Nich- Nicholson's character is ridi- like the characters in this mo- movie are ridiculous. Yeah. And like on paper, not believable. Like um, him, like being a romance novelist—it's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Like being a best-selling romance novelist and like saying the lines out loud while he you know finishes his book. It's but that's that's what's great about Brooks is that uh and I think I'm I'm kind of cribbing from uh, Rosenbaum here, but I he you know he doesn't go for realism, but he takes these like outlandish characters and produces some some real feelings out of them that you yeah. wouldn't expect. Because it's so outlandish, but that's how his, like, films conclude, and that's why they feel so powerful.
1: Well, I mean, I think there's a complexity and understanding, like, the realism of, like, the characters are ridiculous, but their relationships are really, um, like, truthful. I mean, you were saying, like, like, um, when Eddie was describing, like, the plot, how it seems, like, not, like, something you would be interested in, and brooks just goes deeper with these like surface level things jack nicholson ultimately falling for helen hunt and then sort of like being able to work on his ocd compulsions it's like a bad example of a film trying to do something like this is like the garden state like Mm -hmm. oh man just throw away your depression medication you just need to be (laughs) present in your life (laughs) you just need a girlfriend (laughs) Uh, um, but like this is like a, a, such a better version of that because it's not like him just being like, oh, the relationship doesn't cure them. It like inspires him to change himself. And like that feels very organic and real. And just like it comes like his relationship with Helen Hunt um also has that like class angle there. That's like, I don't know, works really well.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, the class thing is something I talked about. Maybe a year ago, when I watched this film for the first time, I know I brought it up on a middle segment and kind of framed it around the kind of healthcare issue of it because in a world where it's not privatized, this movie doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, the, this drama is completely irrelevant if Helen Hunt doesn't have to worry about medical bills uh, because her son has all of these conditions and lives in an area that is very unfit for them, uh, but they have to live there because of the economic situation, you know? I
3: mean, same with Greg Kinnear's situation, mm-hmm. too, where, he, you know, he gets beat up by some robbers and, uh, you know, is... Uh losing money fast just because he can't paint. Yeah. And uh, it is very interesting kind of how um, Nicholson enters in these people's lives that they, you know, they don't really want this to happen, but that's his, I guess his way of being nice, right? You know, he, with his OCD, he doesn't do, you know, emotions well. So he's, he's bringing out his bankroll.
2: Yeah. He's a pay pig. (laughs) (laughs) What a sucker. Yeah. The 2020 version of this, uh, he gets, yeah, he, he becomes Helen Hunt's pay pig and just Venmo's her thousands of dollars at a time. So he could yell at her. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Three eggs over easy, two sausage, six strips of bacon with fries.
3: Fries today.
0: A short stack, coffee with cream and sweetener. You're gonna die soon with that diet, you know that. Well, we're all gonna die soon. I will, you will, and it sure sounds like your son will.
3: If, you know, I hate to say this, but you know, I'm picking Universal Healthcare of this movie. This movie's so good that yeah. was...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Look, we can keep it as a relic of history yeah. you know? yeah, exactly. o- of a time before. Yeah. <laughs> the images here are a lot more like unassuming than previous Brooks films, you know. It's not like Michael Bauhaus like so romantically shooting LA and I'll do anything or, you know, the way that they shoot the, the news station and broadcast news. It's a lot more like low-key, but there's some kind of uh, uncharacteristic camera moves. There's this one shot where it's just like a slow uh, camera movement in towards Jack Nicholson playing the piano and then uh, Rack focuses deeper into the apartment to show like the empty dog bowl after the dog had been given back to Greg Kinnear. And it's just like such a a sweeping feeling of emotions at that point in the film where, you know, uh, for a film that feels so sitcom-y in so many other aspects, it feels feels great to have a you know use of the f- of film style to convey emotions through it
3: no i mean yeah he doesn't do that often right but when when he does it's impactful i noticed th- i forgot exactly which scene but he does like a zoom in on helen hunt mm-hmm. during one when- and like you see him employ that and kind of i'll do anything i think like every character kind of got like a zoom moment in yeah. that movie but yeah, it's like you really feel it and it kind of catches you off guard and you're like, okay, let me let me pay, you know, pay attention, let's stay alert.
2: There's a great one in uh in the car in the second half of this film. You know, the midpoint is uh, all three characters get together and take a little road trip and uh there's a zoom in on Greg Kinnear when they hit the road and you know, Jack's playing uh, the great music that he had hand selected with his very <laughs> specific labels for each cd uh but you just get this great zoom in on greg kinnear to show how still fucked up he is Mm -hmm. despite uh the other two characters being happy to be taking a trip you know
3: (laughs) i mean yeah the whole trip is kind of strange right because it's like two-thirds into this movie i'm enjoying it but i'm like how does this wrap up you know what i mean where do we go and i think that's a good device to kind of move the movie along and but it it really takes a strange turn because i think that restaurant scene where uh you know, he buys a, a coat and a tie and he gets into the restaurant and uh, <laughs> it feels like it's from like a Woody Allen movie. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. or something. <laughs> but then like the interaction hunts and uh, him have, and kind of like, it really addresses like kind of like the, the cloak that he keeps up through his constant, you know, barrage of, yeah. you know, mean remarks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it reaches some emotional, you know, intense moments, but then like how it just kind of diffuses again. And that's classic Brooks. That's kind of like the highs and the lows of a scene, you know, compacted into one scene.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think they have like they have such a strange relationship that like Brooks is very aware Shouldn't work and so they bristle against each other so much throughout the film before it actually ultimately like fits together that I think that like I don't know it's so necessary nothing about it is easy working together because like Helen Hunt at first is like I would never fucking sleep with you <laughs> like they have like such a uh, a big like age gap like so many parts of them are, are different. But there's just this like, I don't know, the chemistry between the two actors does a whole lot there, too.
2: Also, a great supporting role by Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm -hmm. as uh, the art agent of Greg Kinnear and also uh, the uh, romantic partner of Greg Kinnear for most of the film, at least. Yeah, I think his relationship with Jack Nicholson is so like not grounded at all. All the scenes they have together feel more almost more heightened than anything in any James L. Brooks movie. But they're so fucking funny together. Uh, mm-hmm. like it's such a great like i hate to just keep bringing sitcoms into it but it also another sitcom thing that i thought about while watching this not just their comedic scenes together but uh jack writing as a kind of james L brooks stand-in who understands the mechanics of relationships as they should be done and as they are shown on tv you know james yeah. L brooks has been writing sitcoms for 40 years at this point you know Uh, just like Jack understands relationships so well uh, in fiction world and then when he's asked about how he writes his women characters
0: how do you write women so well
2: I think of a man and I take away reason and
0: accountability
2: but yeah it's just like a great you know uh, kind of self critique kind of just wrestling with something that i'm sure gets at him as someone who you know is able to write these pitch perfect relationships for sitcoms but then his movie characters that he takes so much more time with are so much more complicated and so much more incapable usually (laughs) of having uh at least a traditional love
3: no uh, yeah the cuba gooding jr relationship is hilarious and i feel like this is maybe the l brooks movie i've like laughed out loud at the most Mm -hmm. just because I mean, they got Jack saying some insane things, <laughs> um, but I think one of the the hardest I've laughed, uh, you know, just in general watching L. Brooks is when uh, Nicholson is talking to the police after Kinnear gets beat up, and he repeats the same thing that Cuba Gooding Jr. told him. That's just a classic. Oh yeah, that's troll so move. funny.
2: <laughs> just using. <laughs> repeating the same anecdote uh it's so great another great bit is just like greg kinnear when he's asking everyone for money and you just get an insert shot of the list he made of friends to ask for money and he crosses off the last one
3: i mean yeah it's you can't help but think of like the simpsons there yeah exactly
2: yeah Yeah. or billy madison people to kill Any final thoughts on this one before we wrap it on up?
3: This is a a really good movie, and like I, every time I watch it, like I, I feel like something's gonna pull me out of it. I'm gonna realize it's not as it's not as good as it gets. Um, but <laughs> that just came to me naturally. You know, I that think wasn't planned. As as <laughs> yeah, I think it is as good as it gets. The breakup
2: of the podcast, whether or not it was truly <laughs> as good as it got.
0: What if this is as good as it gets?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm
3: auditioning for Peter Travers' uh, backup, <laughs> his understudy. But yeah, I think this was like one of his more baffling films, just because of like how it meanders and the decisions that the characters makes, and like the decisions he makes in like the characterization of these people. But it it all works to some strange elixir, and I think what you said, J T, is very very smart. Where uh, hunt and Nicholson's relationship they, they do have to like bristle up against each other kind of be thorny towards each other and it really makes that ending worth it where it's like they're gonna drop all the combative you know backhanded jokes and stuff like that you know they're finally gonna start really talking to each other and uh, they kind of they're kind of dropping all like their sitcommy pretenses and now they're real people and I think that's you know that's nice I want I, I hope to be a real person one day yeah
1: <laughs> This one is really hard to talk about. I feel like because it occupies that strange space where it's like, as we said before, L. Brooks kind of leaning into doing something that, on paper, is like Oscar baity, and like it, I don't know. I, I, it's something that I feel like shouldn't work as well as it does, but because Brooks understands like what I don't know traditional like storytelling is all about and like the clarity of his characters uh it just is firing on all cylinders where other directors i feel like would really flop and this would be like something that like because i mean like a lot of the like reviews that i've read of this that are like negative like from uh like present times are like oh it's fucking problematic or whatever and it's just like I don't know. I mean, like, Brooks has, like, an understanding of these characters. It's like, obviously, it's not endorsement of it. I mean, there are, like, lines that, like, Nicholson is doing a lot of heavy lifting for that wouldn't work as well with other actors. Like, when he says uh, to Greg Kinnear, you'll be back on your knees in no time, (laughs) it's just, it's like all of (laughs) Jack. (laughs) Uh, being like just completely homophobic like that—it's just like it—it it works for Nicholson himself, and just I don't know it—it's indescribable. Like it's—it's it's a fluke that this is as fantastic as it is, but also not because Brooks is a master.
3: He's good at directing actors too, which is—I don't yeah. know—I don't know if I've said this before, but it's like—and that's why he has like these kind of insane melodramatic highs of an L. Brooks movie that you get. And, like, I think he, he he just really pushes his characters to the point, like, I'm thinking, like, when Helen Hunt is reading the thank you letter to oh, what Nicholson. A great scene. Great scene and, like, a lot of, you know, stuff underlying it that makes it great. But what also makes it great is just kind of, like, the explosive nature of Hunt and, like, how... Brooks, you know, put her in that situation, you know, he's one of the better directors when it comes to directing actors, I feel. And he, that, that his projects depend on that depend on the performance using good ingredients to make quality product
2: (laughs) that letter scene where helen hunt brings the like 20 page thank you note to jack sitting at the table with cuba gooding jr uh probably my favorite scene in the movie because she goes through it similar it kind of called to mind the video uh scene in how do you know Where, you know, Paul Rudd is supposed to operate the video camera for his friend, and he goofs it, and then they have to, like, redo it and, like, recreate those emotions. And I feel like her kind of deconstructing her own letter in front of Jack, who is just denying it, just no thank you, no thank you, no thank you, Uh, is just so funny. And then it's also just, like, so heartbreaking, too, because it's just, like such a difficult relationship for them too, you know, and then also I love how he just disposes of Cooper Gooding jr. After his narrative purpose for that scene <laughs> is over Jack kind of also to bring it back to him as the James L Brooks analog feels like he kind of dictates who is in and out of scenes and when they start and end is just how Jack feels and how who he wants to talk to in that scene (laughs) because he just tells Cuba Gooding Jr. to leave while they're eating together (laughs) fine okay
0: okay all right I'll see you tomorrow Uh, let's not drag this out we don't enjoy one another that much
2: Anyway, I'm giving this one four bullets. Uh, I I think it's a really great film. It might be my it's probably tied for uh, my least favorite Brooks with How Do You Know, but like those are both fucking great films. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's the th- those are the two that I gave four out of five. We'll do a more of a Brooks wrap up segment later, but uh, I'm passing it to you.
3: All right, nice. Um, I'm gonna go four bullets as well. L. Brooks doesn't miss. He's never made a bad movie in his whole goddamn career. This is proof of it. And yeah, I think maybe it is most difficult to sell on paper, but you know, movies
1: are a visual art, so you gotta go watch it. <laughs> JT, what do you think? Um, I'm also doing four bullets. Complete agreement with you boys.
2: We'll be right back on Extended Clip to talk about looking for comedy in the Muslim world. Well, uh, for the $6 a month tier uh, on the Extended Clip Patreon, we do have the PDF Club, and we just dropped a new one today uh Ma- malcolm what did you write about in this month's pdf
3: i wrote about my journey through the 2015 multiplex specifically through january through april not even the summer movie season and this is a strange time in my life where i found myself at the multiplex every single weekend so i thought you know why don't i just write about it try to blog out my feelings you know because i can't express them normally so that's what i did
2: and JT, you went full on Mad Magazine mode on one of our recent podcast uh, uh, picks, uh, Earth by Alexander Dovshenko.
1: Yes, I drew a, a parody of the poster entitled "Girth." Film. I, I just
2: don't want to spoil the the images. You no, know? of yeah. course not. You got to pay for those. Yeah. And on this uh, month's p- PDF, I wrote a a love letter to my lover, David Letterman. Uh, and then on the $2 feed, uh, of course, you get the weekly bonus episodes. You know, the one that's up there right now, as I mentioned, Alexander Dovshanko's Earth. And we also talked about some propaganda films. That was a lot of fun. That was. That was. And uh, next week, we're going to have Battle for Heaven by Carlos Regatas. Battle in Heaven? Battle in Heaven by Carlos Regatas from 2005, our favorite year.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a wild movie, too. So you're not going to want to miss our discussion on that.
2: And that's the advertising portion of the podcast. Back to the show. We
0: all have these terrible stories to get over and you... It's not true. Some of us have great stories, pretty stories that take place at lakes with boats and friends and noodle salad. Just no one in this car, but a lot of people. That's their story.
2: Good times, noodle salad. And we're back. On extended clip uh, Malcolm in the middle Our favorite segment I almost called you Michael
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's my younger brother's name So I'll take I've been called Michael A lot of times Uh, in my life before So it's nothing new to me What did you watch this week? Uh, Thanks Eddie Uh, You
2: want to call me My brother's name? No Um, It's JT (laughs) Whoa Well it's He doesn't go by that But those are his initials All right. Um,
3: I'm going to get to my movie (laughs) 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 i watched utamaro and his five women i think the british title is utamaro around five women a little more respectful but uh, you know i don't choose the titles but this is mizoguchi this is you know a classic auteur canon you know maybe one of the best canon filmmakers and this is this is great this movie kind of reminded me a little bit of i'll do anything because it's about mizoguchi making art during the occupation, the American occupation after World War II. So, what is the movie about? It's about an artist who gets censored because he draws naked women, and uh, it, it also is meta in a way where uh, Mizoguchi is kind of reflecting on his own career. His lot of you know he's famous for making women's pictures, as they call them, and uh, you know his art career is kind of off the back of women. So, what does you know the the tattoo artist do in this movie? He tattoos. A piece of art on the back of a woman—pretty <laughs> classic stuff. But it's a, yeah, it's a pretty like a, It's it's about Utamaro, who was a, a real artist, who you know mostly was known for his painting of women, and it's it's just an interesting look in like uh, the artist's relationship to their subject and kind of like the exploitation that inherently happens to it, the kind of the destructive path of an artist that they could leave in their way and it was just a real smart intelligent movie i mean mizuaguchi's mizuon Sen is always on point i mean it's it, there's a good, good amount of fun too it opens with a an art duel you know uh, utamaro is challenged to a fist fight but he, by another artist but he's like you know if you're not a real artist if you don't want to have a draw off so that's what they do good movie good stuff <laughs> <laughs>
1: JT, what have you watched this uh, week? Ah, goodness. I've also been uh, revisiting classics. Nice. Just foundational cinema. And throughout, like, I mean, I think every weekend, like for the past two weeks, I've watched uh, a Matrix film. And so last week, I watched, or like on Saturday, I watched The Matrix Reloaded. And I just, like, it had been a hot minute since I had done the Matrix series. It was when I was like a I had normie film brain when I was going through the Matrixes um, at first and I was like okay the first one's a really good movie and then the second t- or the second two are are bad and uh, that's where I left it but now I as a mature man who has seen some Hong Kong action cinema knows what the Wachowskis are going for um, the second fucking rips it's I I like it more than the first they like outdo the set pieces uh the cgi is beautiful um yeah a lot is firing off on all cylinders on this picture and i'm excited to uh make my way to the third probably uh this weekend i love to uh uh quote my own letterboxd reviews <laughs> during these middle segments but i said that i mean some of the most pivotal characters in the film are the White Dreadlocks twins (laughs) in The Matrix. And I said uh, there should be a strain of weed named after them. As we were talking earlier about strain, the classic discussion topic, uh, weed strain names. I mean, at the very least, there should be a strain of weed called White Dreadlocks. Oh, my God.
3: (laughs) That would go off the shelves.
1: Yeah, I had this idea that mimics Mr.
3: Skin called Mr. Weed, (laughs) where you identify strains of weed in movies you know what what are people smoking what exactly are they getting off on so just an idea i mean also
1: (laughs) for the for the weed heads out there maybe like because the the white dreadlocks twins uh will like disappear into like smoke they'll like turn into like uh sort of ghosts but maybe like someone wants to draw them coming out like like haze out of a bong i don't know (laughs)
3: Maybe I, should, I think that's a good idea. Maybe there should be like a dual vape system that's you know modeled after the Dreadlock twins.
2: There's going to be mad vaping in Matrix 4, right? <laughs> Hopefully. It has to be.
1: Hopefully. Um,
2: yeah. Nice. There,
1: there's going to be that. Uh, what about you, Eddie? Have I'm you glad wa-
2: that you got that insider info and were able to confirm that <laughs> so quickly. <laughs> JT pointed to his ear like he was listening <laughs> in on his earpiece. And received the intel directly from the Bukowski sisters. I have
1: them tapped in just in case they ever want to comment on anything on the pod. Usually, staying no. pretty quiet for the yeah. first year, <laughs> for
2: sixty nine episodes, pretty quiet. But I'm glad they tapped in.
1: That's why you listen
3: to this podcast because we're three Hollywood insiders. Kind True. of in Snyder's ourselves.
2: We're we're the new in Snyder. We're uh, putting ourselves deeper and deeper into the industry every day, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to come out victorious. What victorious means, to be determined.
1: We will conquer. But Eddie, what? Let's get to let's get to the issues here. What have you been
2: watching this week? I'm so glad you asked me. Uh, I watched uh, Stars of the Roller State Disco. This is a uh, made-for-TV movie by our old friend Alan Clark from 1984. I was gonna say he's from Britain. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: I've been horny for this picture for quite some time, just based on the description alone. What? How did it treat you?
2: Oh, it, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's like a shot on video roller rink programmer where a uh, neat the the acronym N E E T young adults uh, you know skate their lives away and just vibe out and eat vending machine food and are just in a, a moment of stasis that can seemingly last a lifetime while. Uh, unemployment, you know, skyrockets and uh, the field of opportunity uh, is narrowing and narrowing as time goes by. And you just are kind of in this zone of non-productivity and pure vibe mode and uh, yelling at the screens that represent the state. And uh, it's a it's oddly hypnotic and has a kind of different rhythm than any other Alan Clark I've seen. But has a nice grotesque finale to bring it home to that classic Alan Clark feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's awesome. I It was like really snuck up on me because it's easy to kind of zone out during it. Then you realize that's, that's kind of the point because these people are just zoning out their lives away. Yeah. Uh, and then it really uh, reels you in at the end. So yeah, high recommendation for Stars of the Roller State Disco by Alan Clark. We'll be right back on Extended Clip to talk about looking for comedy in the Muslim world. You know, I wanted to talk about it on this segment. Or really, I wanted to talk about it on the segment <laughs> before uh, because I I had teased that this segment was coming up. But then we did the advertisement and then we did the middle segment and look where we are now. So we'll be back on Extended Clip to finally get to the last film in our Brooks Brothers <laughs> miniseries. <laughs> You're almost at the finish line. You <laughs> got this. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> 2005 is looking for comedy in the Muslim world. So he passed? Yeah.
0: I thought the Scientologists take things. As much as they can get, we offered everything. I thought so, too. All right, who's next? Um, Albert Brooks. And why are you bringing him? it would be interesting. It's a different way to go. Well, I don't want to go a Jewish way he's a good actor it's a different way to go okay uh, what was that last thing you did that thing with michael douglas begin laws right oh why in god's name did they remake that ours at least begs for it hello
2: and we're back on extended clip finally it's time to talk about looking for comedy in the muslim world the final film by albert brooks and the final film in our brooks brothers miniseries The film's about Albert Brooks playing a version of himself uh, for the first time since his first film, Real Life, and he is sent on a mission by the State Department uh, after- (laughs) God, this premise is so stupid- (laughs) Uh, after being pushed out of Hollywood. uh, You know, he has no place to go in Hollywood. He must go to the people that create the kind of society that Hollywood can live within. And he goes to work for the government, for the State Department, to be a patriot. And uh, in the height of Bush-era Islamophobia, uh, he goes to India and Pakistan to find out for the State Department what makes Muslims laugh. And uh, he's going to write a 500-page report. And give it back to the State Department so they know what Muslims uh, think is funny. Even though, uh, as it's pointed out early on in the film, you know the Hindu population far outweighs the Muslim population in India.
3: I mean, that's great how like the State Department doesn't even care yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I mean, there's like, a, I mean, this movie's full of jokes. Surprise! But like, I love when they say like, Bush is a real funny guy. <laughs>
0: yeah. like, the president, as you know. Has a pretty darn good sense of humor, <laughs> <laughs> and he felt that maybe the only way to really understand somebody was to see what makes them laugh.
3: Yeah, yeah, and Albert <laughs> Brooks is like, ooh, yeah. Um, no, yeah. I mean, this is great because it is like, it is kind of like Mother, where it's just pure, pure Brooks, like going on his whims. And this one's kind of funny because it's like, it's just really focusing on him being like just really pathetic and like pampered like just like you know not knowing not not willing to adapt to these new environments he's going to and just so incompetent like the whole movie is just about how he's not the right well right man for this job
1: and you know this job shouldn't even really exist yeah i think that like one thing like finishing off albert brooks's filmography I, there's this weird trend of like there's a very i mean after reality where i feel like it is like high concept in premise and execution i feel like a lot of his movies will have like a weird premise like there's like this uh the muse uh defending your life but then will be exceedingly wrapped up with mundane details Mm -hmm. like it's like uh has this big thing that it's going for but then most of the movie will be just sort of like pissing around over like tiny details where it's just like I don't know so much of what's really funny of this is like Brooks being a pampered white lib who just like wants his dressing room who wants like the State Department to be doing more for him
2: and it's also about you know uh, American foreign quote unquote intelligences overreach and their ability to cause like near global catastrophe just by messing up and like sending dumb american guys to foreign countries to mess up and try to get intel that they don't need at all no yeah i mean like the the movie like literally
3: wraps because like you could there's points where you extrapolate from it and of course it's always going for that but you know it does the classic brooks uh albert brooks uh ending where it gives you like some text on like how things are going after the movie and it just really drives home that like this kind of uh brooks being kind of the stand-in just for american policy in general and like him celebrating his mission right like oh we went in we did great and <laughs> he actually just started a you know a big conflict but he's not he's not aware of that whatsoever because he's not even he's it doesn't even occur to him be interested yeah. oh yeah at the end someone
2: calls him the henry kissinger
1: of comedy <laughs> his which, wife oh uh, <laughs> yeah a
2: very supportive tone yeah <laughs> I mean he just bought her a new chandelier off eBay, you know? Because <laughs> that's his wife's one characteristic is that she shops on eBay. <laughs> Yeah, the, the wife, it, it does, I feel like I'm getting some curb feelings from this yeah. this movie. Where well, Especially the stuff that does take place in America is so fucked up. Like, it's the scene where Penny Marshall uh, is just, like, outwardly anti-Semitic about not wanting to cast a Jew in her new project. So she just takes the meeting with Brooks as a courtesy. And then you have those same interactions played in the State Department where you just have to be courteous and not say that the, per- the thing that the person you're talking to was involved with actually sucks. And you have to just say it was good and funny or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like President Bush or the in-laws or whatever. Then also you have the domestic life, which is just a wife that wants to buy stuff on eBay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the characters in this movie are kind of just like little uh, things for like, brooks to ping off of like a ping ball, pinball machine or something mm-hmm. like that i don't know it makes for great comedy too i mean just you know even his assistant to the way it kind of like deconstruct the deconstruction of comedy that's going on throughout the movie yeah. it's 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 kind of funny but it's also just kind of just interesting too and you know i mean people are saying you know brooks is the way and of course he is but i i'm i'm like the fat um fbi agent who's like a comedy nerd and it's like yeah. do you like bill maher do you like <laughs> do you like chris rock do you think he's funny you
0: know <laughs> what department are you guys in are you with the secret service no oh, i wish no no no. we're with the state department listen i'm thrilled to be here i'm a really big fan of yours mark didn't know who you were but i i gave him a couple of your movies yeah i didn't have a lot of time to watch though Oh, no, but i did see that uh lost in america oh yeah did you like it parts of it i thought the ending was tacked on a little bit
2: uh, i i really love this film it works as like a career retrospective at points as well as a critique of like foreign intelligence and the place of politics within entertainment and it's also just like a typically great brooks comedy of anxiety you know mm-hmm. uh using the same kind of tactics of form of just like Letting really long takes play out in like medium to long shot and just like letting these actors reach maximum levels of uncomfortability (laughs) Uh, the career retrospective aspect I mean almost every film that he directed is mentioned at some point in this film he's doing a gimmick similar to real life yeah one of the fbi or one of the uh, state department guys that's on the plane with him is a comedy nerd who saw him do stand-up in the 70s one of them saw lost in america and didn't get it uh there's also a great deleted scene of them on the airplane on the way back to the states presumably at the very end of the film where he says you know i watched lost in america again still didn't get it <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, I think it's really admirable for, I mean, like, obviously in all of the Albert Brooks movies, he is, like, going bozo mode and, like, sort of, like, putting himself out there in that way. But, like, by doing it, like, attached to his name and, like, riffing on his persona and, like, also doing it while being as explicitly, like, racist and, like, looking like such a fucking idiot in this I don't know, to be willing to make that much of yourself, uh, like to make that much of a fool of yourself is really impressive. Yeah,
2: I also love that when he gets the envelope from the State Department inviting him, telling him about his mission, he thinks it's because he visited an Al-Qaeda website.
3: (laughs) I'm in the same boat, Albert.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But the main chunk of this film is him... In uh, New Delhi, working with two State Department bozo bureaucrats who can't do anything but just say that they're working on it, both with great deadpan delivery for Brooks to ping off of. He hires an overqualified uh, assistant who is kind of a peek into life in India at the time, I guess, compared to Brooks's views of uh, like relationships and what kind of cultural norms he's used to. And you have him trying to do this research, trying to ask people what makes them laugh. And the big set piece is, of course, a comedy show that is just one of the great set pieces of Brooks's filmography It uses bits from his stand-up act from 30 years ago, even like, uh, or even longer than that. I mean, he did that ventriloquist act, the purposely bad, like the ironic ventriloquism act on the Ed Sullivan show. Like, that's a (laughs) fucking old bit, you know? And the whole joke is just that, I guess, in India, they don't have ventriloquism, so they don't get what it's satirizing, you know? And he also does an improv thing where he's just making fun of overwritten improv where he's just changing all of the audience's suggestions and nobody's in on the bit at all. And just to watch him bomb with all the house lights on for 20 minutes or so is just one of the great joys of cinema.
0: Now look what you've given me here. Chinese farmer, rice guy, married, 10 kids, and he's poor. How might his day begin? Imagine that alarm clock going off. Good morning. I don't like the poor. I'm going to make a middle class. I actually love the poor, and quite frankly, I don't want to get a review in the Daily Indian that Brooks made fun of the poor. Whoever said farmer, good one. Not for this trick. What are you going to sing? The famous Al Jolson number. Swanee. Fantastic. Do you remember when Swanee first was done, Danny? No, I'm not sure. Well, it was done, I believe, in the movie The Jazz Singer wow that's a hell of a fact
3: yeah i mean i think brooks realizes and you could see this out throughout his filmography the only thing funnier than like a good stand-up set is someone bombing that's yeah. insanely way funnier and it, it it's just i mean it literally is about a hundred minutes of albert brooks bombing his way through life none yeah. of his bits falling it's not even that he's so hilarious in america that people love him but you take him to india where there's no cultural context to what he's saying and a lot of the sarcastic remarks he makes, he's completely stripped of anything that makes him, you know, worthwhile or just yeah. worth uh, <laughs> worth hanging out around. And it's it's just funny to see him deal with him just being reduced down to that. We were talking about like liberal racism, right? And I think that's a, a perfect... Because he's also, you know, he's satirizing the, you know, overwritten improv when he's doing that. But, you know, him being very racist but still concerned to be like oh i don't want to be too racist yeah you <laughs> know it's still like... just
2: doing a totally racist chinese voice <laughs> yeah yeah and he's like well you can't be a rice farmer <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's a bit <laughs> too far and it is like it's it's you know the classic liberal racist i'm concerned about my image rather than yeah you know actually being hurtful
1: i mean also i think it's funny because early on they're like obviously that like the specificity of like how much of brooks's comedy is rooted in like like specifics of American culture I think it does get that there is a universality to comedy early on that like the state department is just kind of missing and that like there are things that transcend culture that like are really funny but they have absolutely no interest in like exploring that at all yeah like um one of the early parts where it's just like they're interviewing people asking them uh, what's funny is like a guy being like, when animals act like people, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he
2: even just like references David Letterman's stupid pet tricks so. <laughs> at that moment. PDF club, I mentioned it too. Anyway. And- <laughs> Uh Yeah, just like seeing what people think is funny is funny. Just him using cultural touchstones of the last 30 years uh, as comedic premises. You know, the fact that a tour guide likes the Three Stooges is very funny to Albert Brooks. So his audience has to wonder if that's funny. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, is it funny that a tour guide likes the Three Stooges? Not really, but I guess it's funny that Albert Brooks thinks it's funny. Yeah. It's also yeah, just kind of interesting, like see what travels over there too, because yeah, like exactly. I think
3: I think this is one of like you know talk getting meta about comedy. A lot of podcasters like to do that, but yeah. like um, talking. I'm not about, a fan of that. Yeah, yeah, talking about the comedy scene. I think this is the least obnoxious discussion about comedy because it does have a bigger scope than you know those usual discussions. It's like it's like what is funny, what you know relies on cultural context or just performance and stuff like that. I mean the the scene where brooks albert brooks bombs in front of all those indian people when he's crossing the border illegally to pakistan in front of all of those high comedians he's killing it over there yeah so, one of my favorite scenes yeah. ever
2: <laughs> just brooks hitting the hashish out of the hookah <laughs> and just destroying not even having his ventriloquism dummy just using like a, a little pot <laughs> well,
3: that's that's great too cuz he does the classic old guy thing just like
0: God,
2: am I stoned?
0: No <laughs> wonder you live here. <laughs> how much is this an ounce?
2: I also like how it is still a guy earnestly trying to understand another culture, and it's uh every time he appears problematic or you know racist or whatever it's just like showing how not open and earnest he actually is despite his best intentions uh and i think like the one of the great juxtapositions that's in such a low-key scene not even really played as a joke but you get a scene of him watching a Bollywood movie on TV early on in his hotel. And he's like smiling and kind of vibing out with the music, you know? And you could tell he's just like trying. (laughs) Uh, And then like 20 minutes later, you just get him throwing on an Indian sitcom and he just gives up entirely. (laughs) just turns it off.
1: I mean, also in that, like in a very similar way, it's like him trying to like assimilate the culture is like very performative, like liberalism. Like uh, him... Uh, just going full on like with the outfit just reminds me of the Nancy Pelosi Kente Claw thing <laughs> where it's Hell just yes. like just trying to get the look more than it is like any actual understanding. Like when he steps out of the car with the new shoes that he gets.
2: Just clown shoes. It's yeah. Right yeah. There, <laughs> you know?
3: I mean yeah I mean it's 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 a great movie about kind of like America's own self obsession and like Albert's a great stand in for that. I mean the scene where they go to the Taj Mahal and he's just arguing with that State Department agent about comedy the whole time. Yeah. And the, he doesn't even see the Taj Mahal and he doesn't even, frankly, care. He just bought a snow globe for his daughter. That's mainly why he was there.
2: And that scene has one of the great like stylistic maneuvers of these Albert Brooks films. It's just like, a really nice tracking shot with great architecture in the background. But between that and on the airplane, there's this like fast forward effect as it tracks through uh, the air, the rows of seats in the airplane that just kind of took me aback. Like That doesn't really feel like it belongs in an albert brooks film but it's also the 2000s now and he's trying to keep up with the times you know it's a classic like rich la guy joke too and it's like and they had me in coach yeah (laughs) not first and that's
3: like the the visual inspiration for that scene it's like you start in first class and then you get a you know a tracking shot all the way down to where albert's sitting in coach and it's not even like the greatest joke but like it it, you know it spawns something interesting yeah
2: uh, but I think what you were talking about about the least obnoxious use of like explaining comedy, I think this movie in a way becomes about the uncomfortability of dissecting comedy. You know, like all of his films have one kind of emotional core that drives the comedy. You know, the the jealousy in Modern Romance, for example. Uh, And the kind of faux existentialism of something like Lost in America. Uh, But with this one, it's just like how uncomfortable it is to try to dissect something that feels so natural. Even with someone who's so self-aware and meta like Albert Brooks, it's still just a natural thing for him. So as he uh, does his illegal border crossings and is kind of making some noise in India, you get some... Uh, scenes of the embassies of India and Pakistan, both subtitled scenes where they're kind of just thinking, what could this guy possibly be? But obviously, the mistrust of the US government, the rightful mistrust of the yeah. US government, uh, plays a factor in that. And just the fact that, you know, Russia used actors as spies or something like that. <laughs> uh, and it f- starts to feel very Ishtar like, you know, like Charles Grodin in Ishtar, <laughs> like but reversed kind of. I guess rather than the Americans messing up in real time, you have the Americans just setting up this situation for disaster. Yeah. And you just have to watch the embassy people of, uh, or the ambassadors rather, of India and Pakistan just like kind of let it fall apart because there's no other option because they have no idea what he's actually doing.
3: Yeah, they're, they're, the Americans are disrupting here and yeah. know, shaking up the whole I mean... To compare it to Ishtar it is a great comparison because this is like probably the last movie he'll get to make. I saw the budget was like ten million dollars on this,
2: and it In, opened on like a hundred screens. insane that yeah. like
3: it's even surprising that he got that back then to make this movie. like it <laughs> yeah. is like it's like, yeah, I'm gonna make a movie about um the u.s's role bad role in foreign policy and also make it a like a meta thing about <laughs> comedy and cultural you know yeah. understanding and stuff like
2: that it is a satire what... of state department uh, mandated media during the height of the surveillance state of the bush era
3: <laughs> i mean yeah i mean out of all of, like the 9 11 films i think albert brooks Process 9 11 in a very intelligent way where a lot of other comedians were like, You should sign
2: up for the army. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or like Louis' like, somber episode about him going to perform for the troops in Afghanistan. Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. rough.
1: Yeah. What does he think he is? Come Bob on, Hope? Things he's done. That was rough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, this just like has. I don't know no admiration for like the type of bumbling American imperialism at all like even though like the uh, Indian and Pakistani embassies are both like fucking up like they're rightful to be suspicious of like the American government but it's just like the American like it's makes sense that they're as usual like no intention at in like no intention to actually cause. I mean obviously sometimes there is intention to cause Disruption but it's just sticking their dick In things and just fucking <laughs> it Up entirely
2: yeah It's oh god I, I just It has so many aspects of It you know breaking it down as the Albert Brooks ultimate meta text that Reflects upon his career as a director Comedian and late career You know child actor <laughs> or Child's film voice actor as you know Him being in the fish movie is brought up Quite a few times <laughs> Yeah no, yeah, I mean, it's, it's.
3: I mean, I think you kind of mentioned it already, but, like, it starts with him not getting work. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's, like, he's not a viable, you know, leading man anymore. He has to do Nicholas Winding, uh, Ruffin movies.
2: <laughs> uh, 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 gotta get him on the pod. Uh, but, like, the juxtaposition of that, like, very detached thing with it also being the very detached, like, uh, critique. And it's, you know, it's still pretty... A, soft critique yeah, it's just no. all in the right places you know True. but it's not the most like flagrant critique ever you know yeah it's subtle it's he's, good well yeah he's <laughs> soft enough to still be able to use real politicians mm-hmm. uh like the guy who gives him the job yeah you know? uh i forget his name Fred right? dalton thompson yes a politician turned actor turned politician you know it's, you have to i guess give a little to still be able to use those and get 10 million dollars of funding yeah Still got him to say like you know, there's a lot of cultures we don't understand. The Chinese,
3: the Africans, and the Muslims. You yeah, know, that's a
2: great line. <laughs> that a great they line. don't come off
3: looking clean, but yeah, it's not. It's not a. Uh, it's not Godardian. It's not. <laughs> it's not piercing. But
2: yeah, it's a. You know, it's a PG-13 movie. Yeah, uh, I know Jay Hoberman wrote about the assign the writing assignment of this film like shaping this as a kafka-esque narrative uh with the two you know state department guys being like his guide uh through you know i forget which fucking kafka text he mentioned i haven't read that shit <laughs> Kafka's i just thought like, about the soderbergh movie kafka and i was like yeah it makes sense
3: <laughs> it's because albert brooks turns into a bug yeah exactly that's a
1: literary <laughs> reference for you
2: that's not kafka that's cronenberg <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's also just really funny how little work that Brooks actually wants to do in this. Like, just trying to duck, like, when he's presented with this, like, pretty sensational opportunity when he's not getting work in Hollywood, he's still like, 500 pages is a lot (laughs) to
3: write. (laughs) And yeah, and he does it for the prestige. They offer him a medal of freedom. And he's like, that'll get me so many roles. And, like, yeah, his obsession with you know, being in Hollywood and his own image and stuff. I mean, I think one of the the funniest, uh, one of the hardest times I've laughed in in the movie is after he performed for the pakistani comedians he starts singing there's no business like show <laughs> just for no reason Yeah, song
2: in the beginning of real life just equally uncomfortable <laughs> equally just like not translated to those people <laughs> yeah i mean i've been saying for a
3: long time i want an albert brooks musical
2: and... oh my god i mean we could piece it together i think at this True. point through all the films that we've covered
3: <laughs> the bootleg out extended clip yeah. albert brooks
2: musical And I I don't want to keep mentioning deleted scenes To make everyone go buy the DVD But like uh, Since you brought up his obsession with his own image There is a series of scenes In the deleted scenes It's like almost a mini montage Of him going to Like uh, three different Indian Video stores and just asking if they have Any of his movies (laughs) And one of them brings out like Blazing Saddles And Young Frankenstein (laughs) It's a a pretty good bit Uh, Yeah. Yeah I Did I mention the other one off mic? Yeah, the cab Uh, one. Yeah, there's also a really great deleted scene. And I get why he needed to excise those scenes. This is 97 minutes, but it's probably his slowest film at that. But man, there's a great scene with a New York taxi cab driver who uh, picks up uh, Albert Brooks and the two State Department guys he's working with, and he's just like going on this rant about how many Indian cab drivers there were in New York, so he decided to go to India to get back at them and be a <laughs> cab driver there. <laughs> and that is easily like the most outwardly racist kind of caricature that you see in this film, and maybe it was a bit on the nose for the tone of the rest of this movie. Yeah, but it got me good I, I was laughing pretty hard at that there's a lot of like slow burn comedy in this that is yeah. as slow as any of the other brooks movies pretty much well, it's
3: like slow but it's also effortless like yeah. he's like that's what's very charming about even like mother even though i don't like it as much as this like he's not <laughs> there's no effort being shown whatsoever yeah. <laughs> but that's what that's what a great artist does right He makes some you know things look effortless but it is it is funny like um how he's just not you know he's He's not going to go over the top. He has, you know, fun moments and spurts, but it's it's very low key. And there's just a lot of like small bits that just, you know, have great weight. Like I love when ever he he asks someone who doesn't speak English like what makes you laugh? And they reply in a different language every single times, you know, he asks his assistant, like what they say. They're like, they said they don't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> it's like four times. in the <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, our friend of the show past guest, Will Sloan on his log for this on letterboxd, uh, talking about how effortless Brooks is compared him to Robert (laughs) Bresson and uh, I really think that this film brings that out entirely in like the slow master shot style kind of you know not the same style as Brisson, but they evoke similar feelings. Yeah. Definitely,
3: that's a nice Armand White esque comparison.
2: Yeah, I wonder what Armand thought about this one. I thought I looked at some of our heavy hitters, our usual heavy hitters, but I did not check in with Armand White on this one.
3: Yeah, I didn't either. I don't. I don't think he's ever particularly championed Brooks, but I, I. I don't know. I could see him going
1: either way on it.
2: Yeah, I don't want to accuse him of anti-Semitism. <laughs> but.
3: It's something you could do. <laughs>
1: oh man we, for- we haven't mentioned yet while he's in India him trying to be recruited for like a sitcom uh, isn't it called like that darn Jew <laughs> yeah that's
2: a great set piece where he goes to Al Jazeera thinking that Al Jazeera got the scoop on what he was doing and he just gets so delusional thinking that they're gonna broadcast his project to the entire Muslim world <laughs> they're like no we're starting to make some sitcoms and we'd love to have you on that darn Jew
3: We're making an, a quibby type thing No, I, <laughs> no that's, what's, that's great too Because it's like you know American media is almost Just like for entertainers It's almost just like a, a, another place to Advertise so he's like I'm gonna come in there The red carpet's already gonna be rolled out For me third. and he's like no Yeah no one cares about me here no one yeah. knows who I am <laughs> Humbling
2: Uh, Yeah Armand White was pretty mixed on this one you know It seems pretty uh, Disappointed by uh, you know the ripe premise that was not fully taken advantage of huh. I'm, I'm sure Armand wanted something more thorny yeah. yeah well yeah I also the title looking for comedy
3: in the Muslim world I think like it makes it sound like 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 the Muslim world is humorless or yeah. something <laughs> like that and like
2: well I think that's kind of the joke of the title yeah. is it's even mentioned uh early on when he's offered the job he's like even though the new york times writes an article about their not them not having comedy every week you know yeah like he even says it right away that this is already a hack topic of like the humorlessness which is just extremely islamophobic on the american media's part but uh he knew and he made a movie about it and i applaud him he did his part Four and a half bullets for me. This is like a huge sleeper. One of my favorite Albert Brooks movies. Just works on every level as the self-reflexive thing, as the very uncomfortable comedy that he's mm-hmm. so great at, and as the cultural critique. And uh, you know we love that late style on Extended Clip, and he truly is pushing his obsessions <laughs> to their limits and pushing the patience of the audience to its limit as well. And uh, for that... I got to give the extended clip salute.
3: <laughs> nice. I'm going to go uh, four bullets. I think like I love Brooks and like, but I think this is like one of the movies of his that like gets even better when you think about it too. Cause it, it is like, just cause it's juggling a lot of different aspects, right? Where like mother is very bare bones and just kind of almost just him on a stage just kind of performing. Whereas this is like him just bombing and I don't know. I found it really funny and uh, I mean, Hey, Albert Brooks are still alive why don't you just, you know, get that kickstarter going? You know, maybe we'll help you out. We'll we'll set it up, you know. Let's make another movie. Let's get to it.
1: JT, I uh, want to hear your thoughts on this. I'm also giving this uh four bullets. I mean it like I really hope it's not his last picture, but I mean at this mm, point it yeah. kind of feels like it is. But I think it is uh a perfect sort of end to his career as a director if it is that just because I mean it returns to like uh real life in like him just like embracing like uh, the neurotic persona is actually himself yeah um he's just I I don't know focused on that like critique of the self and just elevating it to like him as the icon for like sort of white lib American identity and like as we've talked about through I mean I, I mean, James L. Brooks is funny, but the Albert Brooks movies have really brought the laughs hard. And then when I just think about like the lines afterwards too, they wind up leaving, leaving me laughing harder than uh, when they I like first heard them just thinking yeah. just taking a moment to, to think about them is very funny. One that. Uh, did that for me this time around is uh, his daughter calls him and, and is like hi daddy are you making the Muslims laugh <laughs> which is just such a wooden line for a child to say but it's so fucking good no I mean, I she's l-
2: just checking in on the promise of the premise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean yeah him
3: saying you know I'm going to Kashmir later yeah I'm gonna go put on my sweater like I I still just crack up
2: thinking about. It. I love it. I love bad jokes. I do yeah. love bad jokes. And he delivers some all-timers in this one for sure. Uh also I love how he even uses Modern Romance as an example uh for his assistant like to teach her a lesson about her relationship and it's like the <laughs> one time that he seems to have learned a lesson from his own film and yet in every other scene he's completely messing up. <laughs> <laughs> uh the very end of this film also uh you know fuck it spoilers uh the conflict between India and Pakistan hits like high alert and there's like CNN breaking news or whatever but it's just on TV in the other room while uh, Albert Brooks's wife is calling him the Henry Kissinger of comedy <laughs> and he's just like yeah. giving gifts to his daughter to do cultural appropriation at school yeah I mean much like real life he's
3: burning it all down you yeah know, <laughs> again uh,
2: but you get the end text uh, cards the classic. Uh, ending the fake out moves uh, of Brooks saying that you know the, the tension was resolved mm. which is so crazy deflates it entirely with the first words that appear on screen. <laughs> So the conflict was resolved, and the writing assignment he only handed in six pages and got no recognition whatsoever for <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> and uh, the funding that was allocated uh, to the program of like cultural overreach that hired Brooks was then just pretty much turned into a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty thorny. That's yeah, That's a good thorn That's for a you. nice, like very last thing to have on screen in your filmography, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Get a little... You know, they didn't see my gesture, but (laughs) you got to, you know, do a little, (laughs) yeah, pay $20 for the visual. (laughs) As we finish up Brooks Brothers, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with these two guys, you know, that we haven't gotten a chance to discuss over the last month?
1: Uh, Can I take a piss real quick?
2: Yeah, we'll be right back on extended clip to do the post piss Brooks Brothers (laughs) wrap up. I've
0: been, you know, touring around your lovely country. And uh, I've seen a lot of wonderful places. I was in Kashmir last weekend, went to visit one of my
2: sweaters. It's been so nice hanging out with our new friends who now feel like old friends, Albert and James L. Brooks, over the last month. Uh, JT, did you uh, watch any of the other Albert Brooks films we didn't get to cover?
1: Uh, Yes, I have. I mean, uh, yesterday and this morning, I was dead set. On finishing Owl's uh, uh, filmography. I mean, because I only had uh, Defending Your Life and The Muse left. That's like two more fucking pictures. Why not? I, I have a, a duty to the podcast um, to do this. And uh, I really like them both. Uh, Defending Your Life, like, just really got me like emotionally I mean we were talking earlier off Mike Eddie about how I mean I feel like that is like in terms of like the outright sentimentality of it is the closest Al ever gets to imitating his brother and uh, <laughs> husband uh, James L his brother husband <laughs>
2: um, well one of those is like a, a term of endearment not to quote the title of uh, one of Jim's films and the, uh, we'll leave it up to you to decide which is the truth
1: but Defending Your Life, like, I, it, during, like, the emotional climax of that, like, I mean, I was invested throughout the whole time and, like, enjoying it. But, like, I broke down, like, sobbing. Like, yeah. I, I was trying to fight how much <laughs> I was crying during the... You watched uh, it with, like, roommates? Who, no, just uh, by myself. Uh, okay. I was just, <laughs> just like... I can't cry. I was, just, <laughs> I was just really taken aback because I was, like... I was like, "What is fucked up with me that I'm just <laughs> weeping <laughs> at yeah. this?" But uh, it was—it's amazing and beautiful. Um, Meryl Streep, someone who I really am like generally indifferent on, but delivers like a sensational performance, like rip torn in that killer. Like oh. everyone's going off.
2: Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, watching your past self mess up and just wanting to shout through the screen. You know, it's like uh, feeling like Frank Karachi's click. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's definitely Albert Brooks' strongest, like pure drama. And his and Streep's relationship kind of feels obligatory at first. They even make a few jokes about how they're the only people who aren't 100 years old Mm -hmm. uh, in the state of purgatory kind of afterlife. Uh, but it becomes ultimately very moving like nothing else in albert brooks's filmography Uh, rip torn godly performance i just i would want rip torn to defend my life if i (laughs) had the choice i haven't i haven't seen this in a while but it it does fall
3: into a subgenre of movies i do love where you die and go to heaven and fall in love uh made in heaven alan rudolph this one And then, uh, I forgot the exact title, but the Warren Beatty one where he's wearing... He got angel wings on the cover.
2: Oh, yeah. And Elaine May uh, wrote that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know the title, but I know that Elaine May wrote it because I support strong auteurs. But yeah, this one, like it's also not quite heaven. It's like the afterlife Mm. as... It's like a perfectly agnostic Jew look at the afterlife where it's just like a court hearing where you get to show cool clips from your life, which is a movie in fact,
1: (laughs) and you can eat like everything. It all tastes good. And you just don't have to stop
2: that. That part was like, Oh my God. Yeah. That feels like it was in a Sandler movie or something (laughs) like the (laughs) ultimate (laughs) vacation cruise ship that Sandler would board. (laughs) Look. Happy Madison, you want to hire me? Write some of these movies? True. We got to take over the, the laten- lateness of Happy Madison. We love it. We would love to do it. I'm sincere. I mean, yeah, me too. Look, I'm going back to school, but if, you know, full HM on the phone, I'm yeah. I'm dropping out.
3: Yeah, these teachers don't know shit that he doesn't know.
2: You get Alan Covert on the phone, I'm calling UCLA right back. I don't
3: even need Sandler. Just give me Covert. Give me Covert.
2: <laughs> uh, the Muse is like a clear... Uh, step leading into uh, looking for comedy in the Muslim world, in terms of like him looking at his own place in show business, you know. Mm-hmm. Albert Brooks plays a screenwriter who's very Albert Brooks like, I guess. Uh, not quite him, though, you know, he's not a comedian or anything like that, but he uh, writes small dramatic films with characters, but he's just trying to cash in and get some work done. So he's writing some hacky action movie scripts, you know, and he meets. The muse Sharon Stone who fixes any script and in the Canada this film wrote an American president for Aaron Sorkin and you see a nice shot of Rob Reiner giving her a watch uh, to thank her for that. <laughs> it's like the the satire of this is the gentlest hollywood satire i've ever seen probably it's like not in the sense that it still really loves hollywood it's just that it's not really throwing shots at anyone it's just like nice like he's just making a movie about how his friends are more successful than him kind (laughs) of
1: i mean the the mysticism of it like that like jeff bridges character like and like everyone else like scorsese reiner all just like inherent buy into like makes the punchline at the end of all of them being wrong just yeah. like even funnier
2: spoiler alert hit the we'll, we'll be quick so just hit the 30 second fast forward on your podcast app it turns out that Sharon Stone actually uh, she's like James McAvoy in split and uh, that's the twist of the movie uh, much like uh, Alfred Hitchcock's psycho <laughs> she's crazy yeah that's the twist. <laughs> she's <laughs> actually crazy she doesn't have magical powers uh, but I think That like rather than taking the cynical look at what that implies it's better to just read it as like hollywood is just full of bozos who will buy into any sort of mysticism that isn't like their upbringing kind of because they're stupid <laughs> <laughs> jeff bridges in this oh my god what a fantastic performance there's a great scene where he and brooks are talking over a friendly tennis game where it's just like 4 minutes of dialogue where bridges is trying to serve and he just can't get the ball over the net and, like, after, like, two minutes or so, Brooks just stops even having an athletic, like, posture. He's just kind of standing there waiting for the ball and just never comes. <laughs> and he's just ignoring what Bridges has to say. Is just making fun of him for not getting the ball over the net. <laughs> so, it's a very basic scene, but it's very funny. And also, I think the muse and... um looking for comedy in the Muslim world, and even kind of mother, the the way he shoots Los Angeles feels very Curb Your Enthusiasm, kind of. Oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> now, uh,
3: <laughs> now, I don't, I mean, I don't want to cut any conversations short here, but uh, what, what, what was your favorite movie of the bunch out of each director's?
2: My favorite movie from either of these directors is one that we did an episode on a year ago. Uh, I'm sitting right in front of a poster for it. It's James L. Brooks' Spanglish. I think that's James L. Brooks's finest hour, uh, you know. I I think I only gave it four and a half when we watched it on Pod, but uh, I you know I've watched it again, thought about it so much, and you know it's just the perfect formula, and it's when worlds collide, you know, because you have the the trajectory of the sandman at that time and he's doing his very sentimental happy madison pictures like 50 first dates and click uh and he even did his very sentimental art house movie with paul thomas anderson Uh, but then he gets he makes some nice middle brow american dramedy with james l brooks and it's just the perfect like alignment of the stars for these two auteurs trajectories uh where it's just a perfect film and nothing more I can really say about it. Favorite Al Brooks is Modern Romance. Nice.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna crib that from you. I've said that a couple times already, but um, <laughs> Modern Romance probably my favorite Albert Brooks movie. But Spanglish is probably my favorite uh, L Brooks movie too. But just you know, keep things fresh. Broadcast News is right right next to it for me. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean Holly Hunter's performance is amazing, and I think she kind of gets a lot of what Brooks is trying to do and what he he's trying to do throughout his whole career plus you have him working with albert brooks and you know william hurt it's a you know a trio of great performances and uh i you know i love um they both kind of focus on like kind of like hyper neurotics but come to very different conclusions Mm -hmm. about them i mean i think l brooks you know sees the ability to change in people or you know much like uh broadcast news just kind of accept maybe not change but just you know the mono no aware of life right <laughs> whereas like albert brooks is insanely cynical and you know com- you know completely de- deconstructing himself you know tearing himself down i mean both very talented and great directors and we've covered every james l brooks movie on this podcast i yes, realize
2: what about you jt what what are your faves
1: um i mean i'd like to go like come out with like some crazy <laughs> combination of like I'll do anything, and uh, Mother are my favorite by both of them. But I don't know. That's that's simply not true. I uh, would say Broadcast News is my favorite James L, and Modern Romance, my favorite Al. But, I mean, that being said, like uh, I really have a big place in my heart for terms of endearment for James L. I mean, it's like his first picture, but... It presents such a clear path of the way the rest of his career will go. I mean, it's certainly shaggy and like rough around the edges, and he like ultimately refines his style a lot more. But I think uh, what he's doing there, and I mean, especially like his early work with like Nicholson, uh, is reflected throughout his later career a whole lot and uh, is just, I don't know, makes me weep every time.
2: I think about what Jonathan Rosenbaum said about Brooks, uh, said about Albert Brooks, uh, <laughs> that his characters in his own films are both the point of identification and the fool. And I think that the the harder that he works at getting that dialectic going, you know, uh, the better his films are. Like something with Modern Romance, where you know you just watch a guy go off just go on a bender and just call people and just do dumb shit over and over and the identification point is so hard to even reach really because yeah. he's just acting such a fool but it's barely there and you can kind of grasp it you yeah. know uh and i think that like the it's a lot easier to bridge that gap with James L. Brooks' sentimentality, mm-hmm. where his critiques are a lot softer and his yeah. characters that are bozos or just like awful people are a lot easier to swallow. You yeah. know, like Jack Nicholson's characters in the James L. Brooks filmography are so easy to watch. They're so pleasant. Mm-hmm. They're such ruthless assholes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, especially as good as it gets,
3: too. And I think that's. That is, so it kind of made me realize about, oh, Brooks is like, it's a lot of it, he's like, characters can change, positive things can happen. He has an optimistic view on the world.
2: Yeah. Oh, I think that last shot of As Good As It Gets, where they go to get the warm rolls oh. at 4 a.m. when the bakery's opening, one of the most romantic images in his filmography or in any film, really, because I was gonna he's say. one of the most romantic, you know, kind of filmmakers in that milieu that image just is gonna be burned in my brain forever i mean it already was from the first time i watched it but oh man what a great way to close out the brooks brothers series. Yeah. even though i said the incredible hulk bit from modern romance was the funniest thing the the thing that can't leave my head is the big mama joke from mother <laughs> 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 i'm gonna have to throw that clip in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like
1: one of the dumbest things in any movie <laughs> no I've been like since you talked about it like when I watched it it stuck in my craw and still it's like yeah. it's the stupidest fucking things that you can't leave you
0: yeah. where are you heading heading up north big sir now big mama <laughs> what the hell does that mean
3: I mean that's the cashmere joke For me too just hilarious. <laughs> Going to uh, visit one of my sweaters <laughs> We just love a good stinker You know Oh jeez
2: <laughs> right, um, It's a good way to
3: end the Brooks Brothers podcast just us wistfully Laughing just yeah. thinking about the time we spent
2: With them And that just about slams the lid On the Brooks Brothers miniseries Next week for episode 70, uh, you know, we we already revisited one of our classic episodes, Radio Days, over on the Patreon. We did Radio Days 2 where we talked about Oliver Stone's talk radio. You know what? It's time for Radio Days 3. I, I couldn't wait to get back to my favorite topic, podcasting on the radio. So uh, the films we're going to be looking at, uh, getting into a little October horror mode, we're going to be talking about Rob Zombie's The Lords of Salem. Which involves a scary record that is played at a, at a radio station. And we're going to be talking about the Adam Sandler film Airheads with Brendan Fraser and Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Extended Clip Podcast at gmail.com is where you can get in touch with us. At Extended Clip 69 is where you can get at us on Twitter patreon.com slash extended clip is where you can give us two dollars a month for bonus episodes
1: or six dollars if
2: you want a pdf if you're nasty or more <laughs> well that you yeah there's no to limit know. to how
1: much money you can yeah, give us
2: it's actually not true really well you have to pick a tier
3: true but then you could pay as much as you want you
2: could just like ask for your yeah. just well memo yeah